Hey, pastors and church leaders, I wanted to take a minute and talk with you specifically about how Nothing is Wasted can partner with you and your church in helping people navigate the valleys of pain and trauma. It doesn't take long for those in ministry to realize the incredible needs that stem from the difficulties people have walked through in their lives. In fact, it can become quite overwhelming to even begin to know how on a large scale to make your church a place where hurting people can not only find a place to belong, but also the healing they need. This is the heart behind the Nothing is Wasted Pain to Purpose course. And and we know from pastors and church leaders just like you that this course is bringing incredible hope and healing to those within churches across the country. Listen to Pastor Kenneth Wagner of United Church in Delaware share what a difference Pain to Purpose is making in his church's DNA. As a lead pastor, it has been one of the most rewarding things for me to watch people walk through Pain to Purpose and to be able to see that that not only do we have a resource for them, but we've got uh, a place, an atmosphere, a community where people can come to and just work through their stuff. So if you're ready to equip your congregation with the tools it needs to heal and see the life-changing transformation from pain to purpose, not only for their own personal benefit, but so that they can better serve the church, the community, and beyond, let us help. To learn more, go to nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash churches and join churches all over the country that are bringing healing in a practical, biblical, trauma-informed way to those within their walls. Nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Aubrey Sampson, and I'm joined by... Eric Shoemaker. Eric Shoemaker, not Schumacher, but spelled Schumacher. Yes. Yeah, it's a lifelong struggle. I'm sure it is. It's, <laughs> I, it's not quite the same, but I feel like my whole life is Aubrey, not Audrey. Aubrey with a B. Yeah. So you're probably like Shoemaker spelled Schumacher. Or it's not, yep. it's like Shoemaker, but yeah. And then I feel guilty if I'm like <laughs> calling someplace for customer service and I just say Schumacher because... <laughs> Why not? I, I'm like, I've, be- I've betrayed my whole family. But sometimes it's easier, right? Just to like, fine, I'm Schumacher. I don't, I don't, have, to, yeah. I don't have time or energy for this. I, well, anyway, Eric Shoemaker, we're so glad that you are with us. Eric's been uh, joining. If you've missed any of our episodes, he's been here for the past few episodes as a co-host. He'll be with us a few more, but he's officially joining the team now. So you're going to hear right. Eric do some interviews and uh, hear Eric and Davey do this kind of thing, hear me and Eric do this kind of thing. So this is fun. It's always been our goal and nothing is wasted to empower more voices and bring on more voices. And so I, this is awesome. And we actually had a whole interview with Eric, was it a month ago, two months ago at this point? Maybe even more than that. Oh yeah. It seems like a lifetime's passed. Yeah. Then, but be sure to go know. catch up on Eric's episode. He talks a lot about, um, uh, miscarriage, child loss from a father's perspective. So um, you'll you'll really, really enjoy hearing from him and getting to know him here at Nothing Is Wasted. So Eric, again, glad that you're with us. Love being here. All right. So today is, I, I was telling you before we hit record, today's episode is with Tori Hope Peterson. She grew up in the foster mm. care system. She's a biracial child, you know, grew up as a biracial child in a confusing and sometimes volatile world 
Like, her story is wild. I don't want to ruin it, but she was in many foster homes. All strikes against her, ultimately, and yet God stepped in in such a powerful way. Again, I don't want to spoil anything, but she's now on the other care, other side of the foster care system as an advocate. And I was telling you, this is what I was telling you before we hit record. I was interviewing her and I was like, man, she's a Christian. Like this mm. lady loves mm-hmm. Jesus. She's young. She's a powerhouse. She's a new book out called Fostered, One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. And she's young too. I We were trying to remember, I think she's like 25 years old or something. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I I was like, wow, I I need to come to Jesus now. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> yes, yes. That's probably how you'll feel, listener. You'll be like, oh, okay, she is so inspiring. Um, I think let's go ahead and hand it over to Tori because she has so much to say. I don't want our listeners to miss it, but we do want to invite you to be sure to like and follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries on Instagram. And we also would love to invite you to go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the podcast, and then be sure and rate and review the podcast because that helps other people find all of these inspiring stories as they walk through their own painful valleys. Unless on those reviews, if you thought this was a cooking (laughs) podcast and you're going to leave us a one-star review because you're disappointed, don't do that. (laughs) Don't leave us a one-star review because you thought it was a cooking podcast. Eric, you have to tell the people what we're talking about now. We're talking about ridiculous one-star reviews on our books. Yes. Where people thought the book... So, I wrote a little novella called My Last Name. It has the picture of an elderly lady's hands folded in her lap. And there's a one-star review on Amazon that you need to go read. Because the person was so disappointed that the book wasn't about the Holocaust. They thought it was going to be about the Holocaust. I don't know why. And Eric got a one-star review because of that. Yeah. I... Hey, I, I disappointed said reviewer. So you're gonna I you're it. gonna take yeah. that. And I was telling Eric, I have a friend, Catherine McNeil. She's actually been on the show before as well. That she does not write cookbooks, but she got a one star review because a reader was disappointed she didn't have a recipe in her book. So please go rate and review in a way that makes sense for the Nothing is Wasted. And this episode is a five star all the way through. This is absolutely. I mean, I want to give Tori six stars. Yeah, she deserves six stars. Tori Hope Peterson. Let's go ahead and take a listen to my conversation with her. Well, hey, Tori, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. So glad that you're here today. Aubrey, thank you so much for having me. Um, Okay, Tori, so I know a little bit about your story, but I don't know that all of our listeners do, although some may know. So we value story here at Nothing Is Wasted. And so I want you to take as much time as you want to dive in wherever you want to. But I would just love to hear your story and where God has you now. I know that's a big kind of open-ended question, but... um, I just want to give you the mic. Yeah, thanks for asking. I love stories too. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So there's so much Amen. power in storytelling. And um, I just believe that telling stories is the way that I can bring glory to my heavenly father who has given mm. me so, so much. So I was born to a single mom. Um, I was conceived out of abuse, but my mom, mm. I'm so grateful for her. She made the very hard decision to choose life for me. 
And wow. because of that, um, I've gotten to live a very unusual, uh, but good and redeemed life. My mom, growing up, she struggled with mental illness, um, struggled with finances, and so she was selling drugs. I went into the foster care system for the first time after a drug raid um, in our home. You know, mm. The SWAT team just busted wow. through our front door. Caseworker came and swooped me up, and I entered my first foster mm-hmm. home. But the foster system did. How old were you then? Sorry. I was like four, I think. You know, you don't oh, really have so like little, a little. of like age or time. Yeah, I think I was like three or four. My yeah. mom says that I was in the system for about six months okay. um, during that time, so that's pretty short, actually. Um, my mom okay. worked her case plan, and then I was reuni- reunited with my mom, which is one of the roles of the foster care system to reunite families. And um, I was really happy to be back with my mom. I loved my mom. Um, yeah, drugs around our house, and that isn't a good thing for kids. But to me, I I didn't know any different. Like, it wasn't unsafe to yeah. me. Then as yeah. I got older, yeah. the abuse in our home got significantly worse, and I didn't want to live in our home. Um, my mom's mm. mental illness got um, increasingly worse and um just she would go into people call it mania um she would have these fits mm-hmm. of mania and um you know she would crazy things like i was there's this one time i was like 12 and my mom accused me of stealing her car um wow and like i didn't even know how to drive um, right mm. and you know that would result in beatings and mm. stuff that just hurt me. I had a sister at this point that was nine and a half years younger than me. Wow. And um, I just, I think uh, maybe I was just tired of being hit. I don't know what was in me, but for the first time Mm. I hit my mom back and my mom called the cops on me. I went to a juvenile detention center, JDC, Mm. for 18 days. And then I had a court case. And at this court case, they were determining if I would be charged with domestic violence. I had what's called a guardian ad litem or a CASA. Um, and that's someone that advocates for what's in the best interest of the child. So they take the child, talk to them one-on-one. And there's just a lot of things that we hid in our home, lots of secrets. Mm. And so when the guardian ad litem was taking me to talk to me one-on-one, my mom was not happy with that. She was come to the outside of the door, start banging on it, screaming. We're like in the courthouse where police are, where the judges. And so then my guardian lied him. She moved mm. me to the next room and the next room. We went to like five rooms before we wow. found some quiet. Mm. And I told her, you know, she just said like, I promise you if things are happening in your home that you need to talk about that are bad, like you will not go back there. And I was like, okay, maybe this is like my way out. Like maybe me and my sister are going to escape the abuse. So I told her everything that was happening. And I was like, I just remember opening the door and being like, okay, this is it. Like I'm stepping out of the Mm. chaos of my home. And Mm. my mom was on the outside of the door. Whoa. My stomach just dropped. It was so scary because my mom always told me like, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. If you tell anyone what's happening in our home, Mm. everything's going to get worse. 
because of that situation, uh, we ca- we walked out and like my mom was like, you betrayed me. Like, cause she heard everything. And Aww. she just said it like right in front of the guardian that lied them and in front of the cops and everything. Like you betrayed me, like you traitor. Um, oh, and sorry. then we actually didn't have the court case that day. Uh, we didn't have the hearing. The judge determined that I just go into the foster care system. And so me and my sister went to the foster care system, our first foster home. And Mm. um, I thought, okay, this is our way out. Like we're going to have family. Things are going to be normal. Um, But within just a few weeks, my sister was abused. I reported it. She stayed in that home. I went to a group home. Mm. And that started Mm. the journey of me and my sister continuing to be separated me moving throughout mm. many more homes in the foster care system. I live throughout 12 total. Um, wow, Tori. And then I chose to emancipate the day I turned 18. You know, there's kind of like this, I don't know, um, idea that youth are kicked out the day they turn 18. And that's not true anymore. Uh, that was true. I mean, it's been decades now. Um, yeah. But the government changed there. They knew that that it was pretty evident, like kids need support after they turn 18. Um, yeah. So there's extended foster care in some states till 21 and some states till 27 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so you can actually continue to receive a lot of the benefits. You get your housing. It, this wasn't all in place when I was in care, but now okay. um, when I was in care, it was just like you could possibly get your college paid for. Um, I okay. ended up going to I should I shouldn't say that yet. It's not it's not part of the story yet. But um Okay, edit, edit, edit. edit, edit. No, no. <laughs> we can keep it in, just so we can just laugh about it. Okay, okay, we'll come That's back funny. to it. <laughs> um, but the there weren't a lot of things in place, but like kids don't now they don't get kicked out. They choose to leave because they usually okay. feel so burned by the system. The rules of the system mm. when you stay in it are absolutely ridiculous because you're an adult, but then your caseworkers mm. can say things like, well, if you want to keep receiving uh, the government stipend, you can't get a tattoo. Uh, or um, wow. you have wow. to give us, you know, all the reports of your working life and say you're self-employed, mm. like I'm self-employed. Um, mm. And so there are just things like that, that um, youth just want out of the system. So I chose to sure. emancipate. I chose to emancipate because they just okay. felt so burned by the system. So like yeah. 20% of youth who've experienced the foster care system, I was instantly homeless the day I turned 18. Bounced around um, just from people's houses in my community. Yeah, Thankfully, in my 12th foster home, I had a foster mom who was taking me to church. And um, this is when mm. a lot of my story takes uh, quite a turn. I was going to church, um, had a lot of questions about God. I yeah. just couldn't understand if God is so good, why did I experience so much hurt? And why yeah. did other people, other children, experience mm-hmm. more hurt than I had? Yeah. Um, why was I separated from mm-hmm. my sister? That was mm-hmm. something that I blamed myself for for a really long time because mm. I felt so much like, I was trying to keep my sister safe, but if I just would have kept my mouth shut, then I would have actually stayed with my sister and I would have been able Mm. to be in control and keep her safe because she had to stay in the home. And so there there were all these questions that I had about God 
And I just felt like I couldn't trust him. I felt like he didn't love me. I wanted to understand why didn't he give me a father that would have solved so many problems because if Mm. I would have had a father, then I would have maybe not went into the foster care system or I would have had someone who protected me Mm. from the abuse in my home. And as I kept going to church and just singing the songs and listening to the sermons, I I have always loved, um, there's always been a piece of me that loves learning. And so even when I was like, I'm not pursuing God, I did want to pursue truth. I wanted to pursue intellect. I wanted to pursue Mm -hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. And in that, I came to understand that God was my father, that he was the father that I was always looking for, that he had protected Mm -hmm. me and he had loved me and he had prepared me. Like God Mm -hmm. did such a great job preparing me. And when I was able to look back, I could see that and— the question that I had about my suffering, mm. of course, still remained. But yeah. again, when I learned more about the character of Jesus and who Jesus is, and mm-hmm. that you know He came to live a life on earth so that we could learn from His life, so that we yeah. could live like Him, yeah. I understood that He suffered the greatest suffering of all, but His suffering yeah. wasn't wasted. And so mm. I— found so much peace and joy in knowing that in Christ, my suffering was not going to be wasted, that it could be used for God's glory. And uh, that's when I just started walking with the Lord and being like, just use my suffering, use my life um, for Mm. whatever you want. And I didn't do it well in the beginning. I don't even know if I do it well now, but um, (laughs) I made a lot of mistakes early on in my faith walk and my faith journey. Mm-hmm. And, um, but God has just been, been so good to me. And I really was like, even through all the mistakes, like this life is yours and do what you want with wow. it. Um, through that kind of like, do what you want with my life, Lord. I also had a prayer. I was running track. I had a track coach who came into my life, started mentoring me and loving me. And he was like, Tori, it was the summer after my junior year. He was like, Tori, I think you can go into the state track meet and I think you can win it. And I was like, this old man's crazy. No one had ever said (laughs) anything to me like that. I heard Mm. many things from my community that I was going to be a statistic, that Mm. um, there were all these stereotypes placed on me that I was going to be like my mom, that if I had kids, they're going to end up in foster care. I was going to be a young mom. Um, All these, there's nothing wrong with being a young mom, actually. Um, right. I am a young mom, but all the like all those things were stereotyped under something mm-hmm. bad. And right. so I did fear that a lot. And I thought when my track mm-hmm. coach said that to me, I was like, this man's crazy, but we're just gonna do what he says. And literally what I thought was, I'm gonna do what he says, and if it doesn't turn out, it's all his fault because it was his idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I so literally real. thought, if I do, <laughs> on him. yeah, and it was like, if I literally do everything he says, then it can't come back on me. So I literally did everything he said. I trained the way he told me to train. Wow. I ate the way he told me to eat. I slept the way he told me to sleep. Like everything. Wow. And wow. that year, I became a four-time state champion in track and field. Come on. Awesome. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> it was like, seriously, these are like, and those Corey. are the moments where mm. like, God's, it's just so clear mm. God's hand was over my life because yeah, he used yeah. my stubbornness and my doubt 
literally for good. I was up against the mm. defending state champion. So there was the, the girl that won all the events that I won, won them the year before. Um, so it was, Come on. yeah, I, I beat the defending state champion. I was the 50th girl in the state of Ohio to um, win four state titles in one meet. Awesome. I was Come the on. first individual woman at my high school Woo! to be a state champion. And I was the first person of color at my high school to be a state champion. Tori, that is so <laughs> incredible. <laughs> this is you. the question I have. If you were going to blame him for failing, did you give this coach all the credit for doing it? Or were you? did you see like, oh wait, this is, I did this. God it's, did this in me. It's so funny. <laughs> I do say that like God did it. I do. I Because yeah. the prayer that I had in the midst of like being like, Lord, I'm giving my life to you. I kind of like yeah. tried, to, I tried to make a deal with God. I was like praying with him and I was like, Lord, <laughs> if you let me become a state champion, I promise I'll give you all the glory. And I know, like, I know now that we can't bargain with God like that, but I think he let me, I think he let immature yeah. Tori yeah. be like, yes. okay, because I think he was like, I, cause I still feel like at the center of my heart, like that's the promise. Like I promised mm. God something and why mm-hmm. I do what I do is because 17 yeah. year old Tori 10 years ago promised that she would give God the glory. But I do try and Ayo. give my track coach a credit. My track coach actually, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> my track coach actually, um, what he should really get the credit for is he ended up welcoming me into his family and he ended up adopting me into his family. Come um, on. That same year. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes, so he's my dad. He is who I uh, came back to in college and who I did Christmases and holidays wow. with. He is who wow. my children call grandpa. Come on. Come on. So as you're like coming to know Jesus and you're praying these prayers God reminds you, of course, that he's your earthly father is like inviting you into that, but then brings you this dad who's actually a safe man that you could trust. And then all this favor. It's so wild because it's wild, Tori. I, I was like, I was so hung up on God giving me a father, like so hung up on it. Mm. And then when I was like, okay, God, like I just surrender this to you. You are my father. You've always been my father, the best father of all. Then Mm. he gave me my track coach as my father figure and like as my dad, like he is truly my father. And it's so Mm. common in my life. Like it is a pattern in my life. And I think if we, if a lot of us look at our lives, we would see this, that when we let go of that thing that we are gripping onto, God gives it to us above and beyond what we could even imagine. But we have to let go of what we expected and what we wanted from him. Yeah, and that letting go is such an act of faith, but I think you are so right. Like that's sort of when the adventure begins and you go, oh Lord, you are so much better than I could have even imagined. But you're right, it takes it takes a little bit to just go, oh, okay, 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 I'm gonna let go and trust. I also, there's something to me that's so remarkable about a God who, even though you were like bargaining with him and kind of doing the thing you're like, quote unquote, not supposed to do, like he just met you with such grace and favor. And that to me is just like, that right there is the love of a good, good father, Mm -hmm. right? Who's like, I don't care how she asks. I see her heart. I'm going to show up in her. Like there is something, I don't, sometimes I think we get too stuck on like, oh, the right way to, I I don't know. So I love that God kind of blows the doors off of sometimes 
sometimes the boxes we put him yes. in. Yes, and I do feel like that is the heart of my heavenly father, that mm. he just meets me where I am. Like He meets all of us where we are. I always hear, you know, like in this Christian leadership realm of, coaching and writing and speaking and whatever yeah. it is. Like people always like, you have to meet God in the morning, like first thing in the morning. But there are people who are in their faith that just aren't going to do that. Just find that too intimidating. Yeah. Also, that is a great privilege. Like when you don't Thank you. work, like it is a great Thank you. privilege. Not everyone has the time, the finances, the resources to meet God every morning. And, and so- And so- I don't want to interrupt you, but Tori, you're a mom. Like moms can't always do that in the morning are moms not allowed to have a spiritual life like this drives me crazy literally. anyway go ahead and I go know ahead. they're actually and it's, it's hard because it is biblical like it, there is literally yeah. scripture that says like it, it, meet God in the morning like receive your mm-hmm. daily bread but at the same mm-hmm. time we also have a heavenly father that meets us where we are whether that's Amen. during our kids nap time whether that's yeah. during our lunch hour at work whether yeah. that's in our car when our kids finally yeah fall asleep. I do I yes. do devotions in my car so much when my kids fall asleep. Yeah. Like God just meets us where we are. Like that is the heart yeah. of our father and just like mm. whoever's listening to this. Like God just wants to meet you wherever you want to meet so him. Good. He is like yeah. he's like you don't got to do it at the but crack of dawn. Like he's just like <laughs> wherever you are right now like meet him and he will be so delighted to meet his son, to mm. meet his daughter. Mm, so good, Tori. Such a good word for all of us. Hey, friend, hope you're enjoying the podcast and these incredible stories of people who are walking through difficult challenges and traumas and finding hope on the other side of them. As many of our guests have shared, healing is a journey. And I want to take a moment to let you know about an incredible tool we offer here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries to help you on your healing journey. Our Pain to Purpose course is truly the heart of what we do. It's a practical, life-changing, proven path to help you move from whatever trauma, tragedy, or trial you have faced in in your life into a life of healing and purpose. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. Listen to what Michelle, a pain to purpose participant, shared about her experience with the course. I lost my daughter in November of 2018. She was married and had two young children and it was just a terrible accident. I was definitely struggling with all the whys. The most beneficial part I found was the whole course, but um, that I needed to lean into my pain. I needed to process my pain, acknowledge it, because you had to feel it to go to process um, and come out on the other side. If you're ready to lean into your pain and come out on the other side like Michelle, I want to invite you to sign up now for the Pain to Purpose course by going to course.nothingiswasted.com. Again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com. Or if you're watching on YouTube, click the link right below. There you'll get access to all the course videos and everything you need to start moving from pain to purpose. Listen, pain is an, it's inevitable, but you don't have to walk through it without the tools that can bring deeper healing. Let us guide you through whatever you're facing currently. Go to course.nothingiswasted.com. I sort of want to 
want to skip ahead to where you are now and then go back and ask you some follow-up questions. So tell us, okay, so the Lord is meeting you. You win these uh, this incredible title, four titles, um, and you see God's favor, you're adopting this family, like move us now. So you're what, 17, 18 around then, like move us now to your 27. Like what's that journey been like? Uh, it's been a journey of saying yes. I would say mm. that's maybe been the most consistent pattern. Um, I started yeah. gaining speaking engagements when I was 16 or 17 um, from my church, from local nonprofits yeah. in my community. And because I said that prayer of God, I promise to give you the glory, I just always said yes. Um, usually yeah. just always wow. like, yeah, um, I just didn't want to waste. And I can't, I can't waste what God has done. Like God will use it. He doesn't, I like, I really believe that God doesn't need us, um, but mm-hmm. it is, he will, like, it is such a privilege for him to use us. And we get to say yes yeah. or no to that. Just yeah. like, yeah. you know, Esther yeah. and Mordecai told her, her uncle told her, like, if you do not do this, God will choose someone else. And so I think yeah. that I was like, I don't want God to choose someone else. I want God to choose me. I, <laughs> I want to be the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I made this promise to him. Like I made this promise mm. to him and he has given me so much favor and he has been so good to me. And there are a bunch of people who are coming after me, a bunch of youth in foster care, kids coming from hard places, young women who have been trafficked or are going through abuse who mm. aren't going to have everything that I have. Um, a community, yeah. a track coach, people who love them. And so yeah. like the least I can do is offer them the truth of the gospel that can save them even when they don't have all of those things. Mm. So um, I just so started saying yes, um, speaking at group homes. And it was like, you know, once, twice a year, you know, from yeah. when yeah. I was like 17 and then throughout yeah. college. Um, and I would mm-hmm. do, you know, if there was an opportunity for a, Community service project. I was usually the first person to hop on something like that. I remember my senior year. It's awesome. Uh, my senior year of college, I didn't get good grades in college. I went to a very rigorous college. I was a 4.0 student in high school, then I went to college. Um, and it was really hard for me. Went to a pretty rigorous college. And I was so blessed to get a really good education, but I did not get good grades. And um, my Mm. senior year, there was an Israel trip. I think they choose like 30 kids at our entire school to go. You have to apply to it. It's very competitive. I had the lowest GPA they'd ever admitted. And they told me that it was because- No way. Yeah. They told me it was, I mean, it was because of the favor of the Lord, but they told me um, it was because of my community service. Um, whenever there wow. was like, because whenever there was an opportunity, I was just like, yes, Lord, you yes. like your glory, like let it shine. I'm going to do it. Um, and so mm. I see those were the ways. And to me, that was just like, that was just the life I wanted to live. Uh, but I yeah. see now I look back and I'm like, oh, I see how you were preparing me now for running a nonprofit with programs, uh, my own nonprofit with programs, uh, being wow. a public speaker, writing a book. Um, yeah. I, and I started writing wow. when I was living with my mom. And, you know, she always said, 
you can not tell anyone. And if you tell anyone, things are going to get worse. So I would just journal. I would like journal. Mm -hmm. And then one time I was living in a foster home and the foster mom told me that when she didn't know how I was feeling, she would go and read my journal because I wrote. No way. Yes, I know that's really not good, but I think it shows (laughs) that I wrote wrote everything down. And so sometimes people are like, what do I do in this life? Like, what is God calling me to? Look back and see what God was doing. What are the things that he gave you that got you through the hard time? And God gave me writing. God gave me speaking. God gave me running these programs and community service projects. And I was like, I was usually like the leader of them. I didn't. Wow. And I I don't say that boastfully or like, I just look back and I'm like, oh God, like you Mm. were doing all of that, preparing me Mm. for what is now. So now, um, I am a public speaker full-time. I equip and encourage churches to get involved in foster care, to get involved in their communities in the hard, um, dark places that usually we we step back from as the church. Um, But Mm -hmm. because we have the Holy Spirit that literally dwells within our very being, it Mm. is possible for us to step into the darkest, the most broken of places and bring healing and wholeness to them. Um, so yeah. just encouraging the church to like, just because we're a part of a church um, doesn't mean, you know, that we don't step into these places anymore. That's so good. Um, the call of Christianity yeah. is a call, not a club. So encouraging, mm-hmm. just encouraging, <laughs> equipping the church to do just that. Um, and in a different ways, conferences and fundraisers, help nonprofits yeah. uh, raise money. Yeah. Who, are serving kids who grew up like me or serving families who grew up, Mm -hmm. who are taking care of kids like me. And then Mm -hmm. I just released um, a book, a memoir, Fostered, who releases a book, a memoir at the age of 26. I know I did. I love it. Um, (laughs) He wrote it when I was like 23. But uh, that released just months ago. And God has been so faithful with that book. And I hope to write. I do want to say the title of that book for our listeners is called Fostered One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. So we'll be sure to have that in our our show notes as well. So, okay, one of the other incredible things is you're a mom through all the avenues, right? Like foster, adoption, bio mom. Uh, You know, I, I don't want you to share private things about your kids, but can you talk us through that a little bit? Yes. Um... I birthed my first uh, biological son at 22 or 23. I don't know. It's all a blur. I think it was 22. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's how I am with my kids. I don't know. I was yeah, some age and they had But they he's, he's four. <laughs> and um, oh, nice. in between that, we had a young man that literally got dropped off at our doorstep. People knew our ministry. Of We just had let people in. We, me and my mm. husband, uh, we had this ministry for a little bit. And like, we call it a ministry now. So I say that out loud so people can understand what we do. Uh, what we did when we started doing things in our home, letting people in, it was lit, it's literally just the lifestyle that we want to live. Yeah, um, gotcha, But then everyone gotcha, else started yeah. calling it a ministry. So that's what I call it now. So people understand um, yeah, but my yeah. husband and I, we would um, like go through McDonald's driveways and we would tell the employees, mm-hmm. we'd be like, hey, do you want to come over for dinner tonight? Or do you want to come over for dinner come next on. week? And we would give them our number and we would have like McDonald's employees <laughs> in our house. And people just knew that like we did these kind wow. of things of 
letting people in, really valuing hospitality, wow. um, caring about wow. the orphan and the widow. And I think that's like mm. people knew from our social media platform. We shared it on there to encourage, mm-hmm. not to like exploit people, but to encourage other people yep. to get involved. And so from yep. there, um, someone messaged me, brought this young man, drove him two hours to our house. And um, he said, I'm not going to stay. He didn't bring any of his stuff because he said, I'm not going to stay here. And then he got to our house and said, okay, I do want to stay here. Wow. And so we drove wow. all the way back two hours, got his one book bag, and then he came to mm. live with us for a short wow. time. Um, finished his mm. schooling, graduated high school, glory to God. He yeah, is amen. an immigrant. And this year, we, we mm-hmm. adopted him uh, two years ago now. And then just nice. last month, he became a citizen of the United States. Um, Come so, on, that's amazing. Yeah, it's been wow. so cool. And while, so while he was living with us, I birthed um, our second biological child, our okay. two-year-old daughter. Okay. Um, and yeah, we've fostered here and there. We've taken in biological parents whose children are in foster care. Mm. Um, and mm. now that sister that I was separated from lives with me full time. I was wondering about her. Yeah, she lives no with me way. full time. Yes. Oh, I love that. I, I, w- I was wondering about her if the Lord ever like brought you full circle back into each other's lives. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Tori, I'm thinking of our listeners who have pain and trauma from their own experience in the foster system or, or for just some other trauma in childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, your story is obviously so inspiring, You, but you had to have walked through a lot of healing from some of those days of darkness. Can you just sort of um, encourage our, our hurting listeners with a word about, you know, where do they go for healing? How do they begin their healing journey? Like, we know the answer is God, but like, what are some maybe even practical steps that they could begin to take to address their own pain from their childhood, especially if they were in the foster system or adopted and it was painful? Well, I think there's so much healing and just knowing that we're not going to be fully healed until we're eyes to eyes with Christ in heaven. So Mm, I think so often we're going through life and we're like, I haven't made it there yet. I'm not Mm. healed. I'm so broken. And that's just like the enemy's bondage because he wants to keep us like, instead of looking at the work that you have left to do, look at how far God has brought you. There's just so much healing. And Mm. again, that I, I say it all the time, look back, look back at where God has brought you out of not the place where you constantly feel like you have to go because you're not, we're not, I'm not going to reach it. You're not going to reach it. We're all not going to reach it until we are in heaven. And so there's just so much freedom and, and understanding that like perfection, full healing is not the goal here. Of course, holiness and goodness and being professional lovers of people like good and holy is, but like just that full, perfect healing that I think in our society Mm we think we can aim for because we have therapy and we have all the resources around yeah. the, this trauma. Um, I think sometimes that bogs us ta- down, like having too much resources. Mm. So just wow. encourage you that like, you don't have to be um, mm. in an unrealistic place. Look at where God mm. has brought you. And then I want to just want to encourage so everybody good. to be in community. Uh, I think especially trauma survivors. And I don't mean this as like, uh, this is going to hurt some people's feelings. That's not my intention. My intention is just to really 
sometimes as trauma survivors, people can be soft on us. Um, and mm. I, so I say this not to hurt you, but to just speak truth in life that as trauma survivors, as people who are unhealed, we tend to be easily offended because when you are wow. unhealed, you are can be offended by anything and everything. Wow. And that I think creates a great barrier for us to be in community and to be loved by people because we're so often offended and hurt by people and we get angry easily. You know, that's... Yeah. And so um, assume the best yeah. of people. Hold a short record of wrongs. And mm. I would say, find a community. So like, community has healed me. Community has helped mm. me so much. And it is staying in that community and being faithful and loving that community. Not when they're abusive. I'm not saying stay in abusive yeah. relationships. But yeah. when there is tension and when there is hurt, being able to talk through it and work through it and understand one another. And then see those people still stick by you in the midst of conflict. Like, yeah. That is how we heal because what that does is it contradicts yeah. our trauma because so much of our trauma says people leave. I can't trust yeah. people. I'm not loved. Mm -hmm. And then when we work through this conflict with our community and with people who love us, it says, I can trust people. I am mm. loved and people do stay. Mm. Wow. Wow, Tori. That's so, so powerful. I, I, I really appreciate your kind of call to to the community too, because I do think so much of our emphasis, especially in our culture, is like on individual healing and to see that, yes, that is important, but that that happens in community, especially if community is the thing that wounded you, perhaps the very place, a healthy Christ-honoring community is where you can go for healing and find healing and stay there. That's such a good word. Stay there because so many people are just like jumping from community to community. And oh, I love that, Tori. Thanks for that. Hey, friend, just wanted to take a quick minute to talk to you about one way that you can help support the important work that we're doing here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. And this won't cost you a thing. We want to invite you to join us in helping people move from pain to purpose by becoming a Nothing Is Wasted prayer partner. By becoming a prayer partner, each month you'll get a prayer and praise report that will give you specific ways that you can partner with us in prayer for what we have planned in the days to come, as well as praises, what we're seeing come out of the work that we do here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. In addition to that, you'll be invited to join us each quarter for a live Zoom prayer call. Scripture tells us that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, and we believe the core of who we are at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we're called to pray first, that the battle actually happens in the spiritual when we engage in prayer. So as we push back the darkness that can come from pain, trauma, and suffering, we undoubtedly will be faced with adversity and challenges, and we know that prayer is the most effective way to see healing and breakthrough happen. So join us today by going to nothingiswasted.com slash prayer team. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash prayer team. You can sign up there today. And we want to invite you to partner with us as we're bringing hope and healing to those who need it most. I want to talk to you about the foster care system and uh, changes you would like to see in how the church can be a part of it. Now, most of our listeners are Christians. Not everyone is, but I'm a pastor and I am deeply passionate about churches being 
for justice and making changes in their neighborhood. And so this might be for me, if nobody else, Tori, but I I really, I want to know your heart about reform in the foster care system and how the church can begin to be better advocates and allies. Yeah, well, the church has to be the foundation of the foster care system. We really have to um, mm. understand what scripture says. So in James 1, uh, 27, that's the scripture that says, um, pure and false religion is to care for the orphan and the widow. And then yep. James 1 ends. So it's like, okay, for real, there's no instruction around this. But <laughs> if we actually, when we read scripture, we don't have to read it uh, with the big numbers and with the way that it's divided up because that was put in by the modern man, not by the original authors. So let's just take that mm-hmm. break out, keep reading. What James continues to instruct us on is to not choose favoritism. So when a poor man yeah. comes to our home, to not put him at our feet, but to put him in the same place that we would put the rich man. So if you think about it, like what what is that calling us to? It's calling us to mm. welcome uh, the poor, the less fortunate into our home and yeah. treat them the same as we would treat our church community, um, people who have more and put them in the same space, in the same place. It's literally, it does give us instruction. Um, and yeah. we have to yeah. ask God, how do we obey that? For everyone, it's not being mm. a foster parent. But yeah. I do believe that we can all put someone around our table and have a meal with them. I do believe mm. that we can pick that person who's always walking off of the side of the road and give them a ride somewhere. Yeah. Um, I do believe that we can go to the leadership of our church and say, hey, who are the foster parents in this in our church. And if if the leadership of your church says, I don't know, well, great. You have started a ministry all of a sudden. And now yeah. you can go find <laughs> wow. them. And what you do is you go wow. find them and you find people in the church that are going to deliver a meal to them every month. 50% mm. of foster parents quit within the first year of them becoming foster parents because they don't have support. Because being a foster parent wow. is hard. You think about, yeah. you know, when... Someone has a biological baby. What happens? There's baby showers. Uh, people yeah. create meal trains for them. Yeah. People come and clean. People came and cleaned my house when I had my second mm. born. And when we had mm. foster children, no one gave. We had not one person wow. come and deliver a meal. And it's just, and wow. it's not ill-intended. It's sure. because yeah. people don't think about it. People don't know what to do. But really, the thing is, let's create uh, people in a ministry that are going to do the same thing for foster and adopted youth, uh, offer mm. the family support that we would biological children so that foster parents are able to feel supported and, and stay in it. And I'll okay, say, that's I'll say so one last good. thing. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> I think, you know, these are all like real tangible things. Something that yeah. we, and of course, you know, donate to good organizations. Like mm. st- if you're like, I can't do anything like boots on the ground, like I really can't. Uh, because again, to do that, it is a great privilege. So like you yeah. can donate, but a, a, something that we can all do is youth in foster care and the foster care system we see it so often as this broken thing. We see the kids in it as troubled Mm -hmm. children, but God sees them as his children. You know, God sees all of us as his children. And so if we just say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours and help me see this system and these youth as you see them, then we're going to, it's just going to naturally result in us engaging in the foster care system differently. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good, Tori. Thank you for that. So, so good. Um, okay. I, I want to go back to your own healing journey and you obviously share your story so openly and all over the place and have since you were young. And so you've been doing this a long time. Do you feel like talking, sharing your story has been part of the way God has brought healing and redemption to you Absolutely. as well as other people. Yeah. Just as I yeah. started this, like we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I think that is so underrated. Like it just, we don't quite understand like what that means. Sharing my story, yeah. what it has allowed me to do, it's allowed me to look back See God's faithfulness over and over and over and over again. So now when something happens in my life, I can just be like, God has always been faithful to me. Like God has mm, brought me from wow. point A to point B to point C. And so right now I can trust him in this moment. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect at it, but it right. does mean that actually I would say more times than not that I can be like, Lord, like this is okay. And like I can rest in him rather than, living in anxiety, um, which mm. is like, which is so, such a struggle of people coming from really hard places, backgrounds of trauma, right? If you have mm. complex post-traumatic stress disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, a direct yeah. result of that is anxiety. Um, and so when you yeah. can look back and say, God, I'm putting my trust in you actively, it just like, doesn't eliminate the anxiety, but it definitely decreases it. And I think mm. telling my story in foster homes. The first time I reported abuse, I was called a liar. Reported abuse uh, later in my 11th foster home. Mm. Girl, Aubrey, let's talk about this. This is crazy. I'm just, I've never shared this on a podcast because it literally just happened. But this is so crazy. Reported abuse in my 11th foster home, okay? Just like a month or two ago, my foster dad messaged me on Facebook. He reached out to me and he apologized. No way. And I was called a liar by my caseworkers. And he said, Sorry. he was like, actually all that did happen. And I'm really sorry. <gasps> Are you kidding me? Talk Not kidding to me you. about that. Like, how did you respond? I mean, what um, in the so world? Because <laughs> that's kind of a heavy thing to bring to you. Because you're like, well, that would have been helpful a decade ago. Like, tell me your, keep going. So when he first messaged me, he was like, hey, kiddo, so glad to see you on here. Like, been thinking about you. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, 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 no. Uh, uh, uh. we're not I going messaged, there. <laughs> I messaged him back and I just said, I'm really surprised that you added me on here. And I said, yeah, I'll never forget the tweet you tweeted when I left. What um, did it say? It said that was the easiest goodbye I've ever had to make. Oh, Tori. Yeah. Um, it really hurt. Like it uh, really stung. Oh, uh, oh, uh, uh, and to do it so publicly. Yeah. Uh. Um, and it was actually someone else that came to me with the tweet. So then you know everyone else in the community saw it. And I live in a very no, grew up in, I live in my small town now, grew up in this small town. Um wow. everyone knows the car you drive, everyone like everyone knows mm. everything, everyone knows everything about you. Um, everyone mm. knows, everyone knows when I'm like going to travel, not everyone, but you know, like generally like people yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, as a young girl that actually cared about what I, now I don't care what people think <laughs> as yeah. much, Yeah. but as a 17 right. year old, I sure did. 
I did a lot because everyone thought I was a bad kid. And then to Mm. read that tweet, it did crush me. And Mm. I loved him. He was actually, I would say that he Mm. wasn't so much the villain in the um, story as much as he was the enabler. And uh, I almost felt like, even as a kid, like I kind of knew he was a victim of it. Okay, okay. Wow. And so I was really sad that that came from him. He, we've been talking and actually he said, that he thinks he was like, I really don't remember that tweet. Like, and he thinks that it was his wife that tweeted it. And I, I actually would not, because she she was the one that, you know, oh, I talk about it very openly in mm. my book, but she was the one that did inflict all the abuse. And so oh, it's hard. um yeah, he they divorced, and that's why he came to me and said, like, I'm just so that's sorry. why he came to you. He was like, everything was true. He hadn't read my book either. That was a crazy thing. So he came to me, said all the stuff, hadn't even read my book, hadn't even known what pieces I put in my book. And and I, so all that to say, Mm. telling my story throughout all the years before you get the validation that you're not a liar. And I could have never gotten that, but I get to share my story and people believe me and Amen. God speaks mm. over me, truth mm. teller. Mm. Oh, it's so because good I, I, it's possible that I could have never gotten the validation mm-hmm. that I didn't lie. And in the yeah. first foster home where my sister was abused, no one's ever came back and told me that. You know, yeah, I didn't lie. yeah. And you may that may never happen. And that will yeah. probably like. I, I mean, I would guess that it will never happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, so but yeah, now you so, have agency as you're writing the book to be like, no, this is actually the truth. Oh yeah, I just know. Like I absolutely, like, I, I have a pretty good memory and I don't, I just yeah. know. Like I'm like, yeah. I know that that happened and I really believe yeah. uh, a majority of the time when kids say stuff like that, like kids aren't making it up. Like right, kids are right. like making this stuff up no, in their head. No. So mm-hmm. all that mm-hmm. to say, yeah, storytelling has been so healing to me and then, you know, I tell my story publicly. I, yeah, from the book, from social media, and I receive all these messages. And uh, I saw a post yesterday that made me kind of irked me. Uh, let me share it with you. It was from someone, they were like, I have like 400,000 followers, and um, you don't I need saw to that be. Post. Yeah, you don't need to be on here. And go like do stuff in your community. And I was yeah, like, yeah. Okay, well, uh, but there is good stuff that happens on here and you can there do both. Is. And, and, and this thought, is where the people I are. I honestly thought the voice in it was kind of mean. Like I did too. I did um, I didn't totally I didn't totally get what was happening. <laughs> it's, it sounded so angry. Like I literally wanted to come on and be like, are you angry? Like Like are you okay? Is everything you okay? okay? But you the point is both and like you're sharing your story and God is using that through social media because yes. that's where people are. Yes. You're also living an embodied life in your community. You're not choosing, you're not like yes. doing it just to build platform I, a celebrity. I, like I really believe that like social media is a second world. It's like the second it world is, and we Tori. are meant to yeah. be in the world, but not of mm-hmm. it and if we yeah. are not showing up there and shining the light of Christ then it remains dark amen and I think amen. that's like our first priority or the only place sure. that we should be but I do believe especially yeah. the younger generation like I'm a Gen Z I'm the oldest of Gen Z's and I think Gen Z's yeah. and the generation like below us yes there's so much like security that needs to be put in place that I will put yeah. in, my, in place for my kids but there's also a God yes. that prepares us for what 
is in our lives. That's right. And so, right. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, I love social media. I love it so much. Yeah. I'm so grateful yeah. for the way that God has used it. And it has mm-hmm. brought healing to me because I get all of yeah. these messages. I've gotten messages from um, people that, mm. that say they have their daughters and sons have come to Christ after hearing my story. Oh, One of the first sorry. messages that I so ever good. got, I will never forget it. I spoke at my youth group when I was 17 years old. I had no idea what I was even saying. Like, mm. no idea. And they met, someone messaged me about two years later. And this is one of the first messages I ever got. And they said, we started fostering our foster care journey that week that we heard Come your on. testimony. And today we are adopting our daughter because of what God has done through your Stop story. It. That Come was on. And that was the first message I ever received. So it was like, oh, like uh, yeah. it was two years later, oh, uh. like planted the seeds and God reaped the harvest. Uh, but, so good. Yeah, there's so much power in storytelling and showing up mm-hmm. online and in our communities. Yeah, so good. So good. Um, Tori, I want to keep you for a few more minutes if you'll let me, because there's a couple things you've said that I want to come back to. One, I'm just very struck by your boldness, even at a young age. Like to re- one, to report abuse, I, I just is so courageous, especially at a young age. I mean, there's adults that have been through abuse and are still afraid to talk about it. And then your boldness, even now, just to continue to share your story and speak up for um, other people's stories. And um, I don't know, I just I just appreciate that God has given you that voice, even when you're in the midst of some really, really difficult things that you were like, no, this is not right. I'm going to stand. And I know you just said you kind of questioned, well, with my sister, if I wouldn't have, would we have been, not been separated. Like, of course, the enemy is going to get in there and try to make you question that boldness. But um, I just see that in you and I am so grateful for it. And so I, I don't really know what the question is about that, but d- does that come naturally to you? I guess yeah. maybe like, has that just been the way God's created you? To be honest, I think it's twofold. So I think a little bit of it is self-serving in a way, because I think that I've always had mm-hmm. a bit of survivor's guilt. I mm. That is like still the question that I have for God. Like, why do I get all of this? And I know like God's favor is real, but... Why doesn't yeah. God's favor cover? <laughs> I don't yeah. know, you know? Every, like, I know. Let's I know. Just ask I know. The question. I know we're all wondering right. it. Like, why doesn't right. God's favor cover all these foster youth after me? Like, yep. why don't they get to right. have a microphone and right. um, get to share God's truth and word and be encouraged by uh, communities? Yep. And yeah. So I think the way that we combat survivor's guilt is that we. Mm. try and change things for the survivors coming after us. Like that's the uh, only way to really overcome it and wow. make sense of it. So wow. yeah, just being honest, I think a bit of it is self-serving. And then mm-hmm. I think the other part mm-hmm. of it is, is that like a huge motivating factor for me has always been to love others. And I think that's because mm. I for wow. so long didn't feel loved. And I don't want yeah. any other person to feel that way. Like I don't mm. want people to feel the way that I felt. Mm lonely and forgotten. And Mm. so like, I know that like justice is intertwined with love and they're not two separate things. I think that sometimes people are like, God's justice, God's love. It's like, no, God's justice is God's (laughs) love and God's love is, is God's justice. And so, um, I, I am a 
pretty justice oriented person. Um, I'm also, mm-hmm. I want to be a loving person. Um, my, my whole mm-hmm. heart, I always say, I want to be a professional lover of people. And so oh, there so was always this just thing planted in me. I think that was like, I can't be silent and keep, you know, kids in. Yeah. Especially they were more vulnerable than me because when yeah. you don't have a voice, when you don't speak up, when you're not bold, you're just more yeah. vulnerable. Right. So right. Right. I felt like I had to to say something. Um, yeah. It yeah. was just a part of what loving people mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually kind of connects to the last question I want to ask you, Tori. And you, you've kind of said, like, when, especially when you were younger, these sort of names that people spoke over you or, or you spoke over yourself or the enemy did it, liar, forgotten, unloved. I know a lot of our listeners um, live with those sort of scripts, right? Like kind of these false names that we speak over ourselves or somebody has spoken over us. Um has been has it been a part of your healing journey? And I guess how has it been a part of your healing journey to sort of understand, nope, this is who God says I am. I, I'm a truth teller. I'm not a liar. I am loved. I'm not unloved. God knows me. I'm not forgotten. Like, has that been a part of your journey? So it has been, I think in different seasons, there are different things that kind of, um, I don't know, kind of like add balm to those wounds. I think that mm. sometimes we can like, treat God like he's a Band-Aid or just cover it up. Like, oh, I'm yep. not a liar. I'm a truth teller. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't really work long-term. We have to, there. so again, I think there are different things. So there's my community that mm-hmm. is my church. Another thing that I read the other day, um, obviously I'm on social media too much. People can judge me, whatever. But another thing I read, <laughs> another thing I read on social media was the church is not a talent agency. And that, and ever, like, I'm just thinking about these things. I'm not angry about them. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm just like, hmm, okay, the church is a talent agency, but the best leaders will see in um, their congregation what they are good at and what they are yeah. called to and put those in, put them in those positions. So, so yeah, like kind of did. ignite and activate them. Yeah. yeah so, like, yeah. something that we've already talked about this was something that my church did at a very young age was they saw what God was doing in me long term. And I think there are some people, there are some ministers and some leaders that would say what my church did was very irresponsible giving me a microphone at 17. Um, maybe it was, but God was good and gracious in our irresponsibility. Right. And through that, He showed me who I was called to be and what I was called to do. So I've always had, I've had my community not just speak things over me, but give me opportunity to actually show me, live it, who I am called to be. That has healed me actually, Mm. like being able to not just, not just have it spoken over you, but when you are given opportunities where you actually get to live out what God has called you to, it's healing because what that does is it in your life, it literally, you don't just hear it. Like God is literally proving it to you through the work that you're doing, mm. through your vocation, yeah, through your obedience to him. Um, so that's yeah. been a, a huge, huge thing. Um, mm. Another thing I would say is like therapy. 
is yeah. like just yep. doing the hard work of talking. And then when I talk, being like, oh, like that's where that comes from. That's where the lie <laughs> that's is. That's where that Usually, lie is. Usually, yeah. like we don't get to. So like the analogy that I like to say is like a tornado. And so that we actually have a tornado warning here today. Well, anyway, so <laughs> like it's like a tornado. <laughs> that's how we've been in Chicago too. It's crazy right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> it is crazy. But in a tornado. It's like cent- a tornado. The center of it is a vortex. It's called like the vortex. And what that vortex does is it sucks up everything good, flourishing businesses, um, churches worshiping, mm. families at home having dinner, right? It sucks up all these good things. And in our minds, like we have this storm as trauma survivors, we have the storm circling around in our minds. And I don't know if it ever goes away. I think it slows mm. down. Um, but what we can do to slow it down and to calm it, because Jesus gives us the power, just like he calmed the storm, we have the power within us to say, Jesus, you're going to calm the storm. But what we have to do is we have to go to the vortex and say, what is the lie that is sucking all the good things up? We have to identify what that vortex is. And so a lot Hmm. of times, like therapy is just identifying, like, what is that vortex? What is that lie um, that is sucking things up in this season at this time? And it changes throughout season to season because like we aren't ever going to be fully healed until we're eyes to eyes with God in heaven. And so it's just continuing to um, Mm. engage in that work. And yeah, yeah, there's so many, so many different things I could say in in terms of healing, but I would say those are probably the two two main things. And then uh, the things that I, I tell myself like all the time when I kind of start to get worked up is that, Mm -hmm. you know, people can kick me out. People cannot want me. That's probably my big thing now, still to this day. Uh, and not like, obviously not being like kicked out of home or kicked out of family. Right, right. But I think I, that's where the root is. But now today it's like, oh, why wasn't I invited to that? Like, why wasn't I included? Mm. Why am I not wanted? Why don't people mm. think about me? Am I forgotten? Yeah. You know, that's kind of where my brain goes. And the thing that I speak over myself that can calm that, that's, and again, that's probably my most consistent lie. Um, yeah. Is... The people cannot want me, you know, people can kick me out, people cannot text me back, but Mm. like God calls me his son and his daughter Mm. and people cannot want me in their space, but God has created a room for us in the kingdom of heaven and his opinion trumps any other opinion. And that's so healing because like, I'm worried about like Joe Schmo's opinion of me, but like literally the (laughs) God of the universe who created it all says, I have a room in a kingdom for you. Mm. What? Yeah, what else is there? Oh, Tori, it's so good. Oh, oh, I love that. I love that. Thank you for that. Thanks for being here with us today. It's so incredible to hear from you. Aubrey, this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Eric, I I literally say this after every episode, but that was another powerful conversation. And I mean, oh yeah, you know, I she's Tori's so inspiring. I think what's inspiring to me is that she's actually living this life of radical hospitality. Like the mm-hmm. fact that I think when at the time I was interviewing her, she they she and her husband had just adopted a teen who came to live with them in the foster care system. Yeah. So, wow, this is nothing is wasted, right? Like, 
Yeah. The pain that you've been through, now God is using you in that same area. To, and this is scripture to bring comfort to other people. This is yeah. so powerful. It just made me want to live a different yeah, way didn't listening it? to her story. Mm-hmm. I mean, to listen to not only what she's endured, and you'd think she's a young woman, yeah. like you said. Yeah. You know, you, you'd think, I've been through so much, I just want to rest mm-hmm. now. And now she's caring for foster kids, adopting. And they go through the McDonald's drive through and invite the workers to their house for dinner. That's the part I was like, what? Uh, I'm like, yeah, wait, wait. Like, yeah, I'd, yeah, maybe I'd give them a tip or something. Right, but right. like, no, definitely you're not coming to my house. I'm not inviting yeah. you to my house. Yeah, really. That's really just impressive. crazy hospitality. Mm-hmm. And do you think wow. that that's a specific? Is that like an anointing or a spiritual gift? Or is that just something like we all got to grow in? Well, and, I think it's probably and, both. Yeah. You know, like there are people, like all the spiritual gifts that I see, like are things we're all called to, mm. but it seems like it's an extra gifting at the time yeah. or a special extra vocational calling in their life. Yeah. But I I don't think everybody's called to invite the right. drive through worker to your house. Right. Um, but we should all probably be thinking as I go through drive-throughs or checkout yeah. lines or whatever yeah. I do, am I thinking about this other person as a person yeah. that I'm called to serve yeah. here and now? Yeah, that's good. That's really good. One of the questions that Tori talks about asking when she was in the foster care system, and I mean, her story was really quite painful. If God is good, why did I experience so much pain? Mm-hmm. And mm. I would say that is that ends up being the question, the theodicy question, right? What if God is good? Why is there evil in the world? If God is good, why am I suffering? Why did my best friend suffer? Why did my kids suffer? Right? I feel like that is sort of the question when it comes to pain and suffering. It how can both be true? How can God be good and and pain exists. There's a French theologian yeah. named Henri Blochet who talks about like there that's one of the kind of the foundational aspects of the Christian faith is that we believe God is good and evil is evil. And yeah. we have to somehow hold them at the same time knowing that God will one day conquer evil in full and has begun that work on the cross, but the reality of both existing God can be good while there's this horrible stuff in the world. It's a hard it's hard to reconcile with that yeah. logically, right? Yeah. And I think I don't know if it was this interview or another one I was listening to. I get them all mixed up, but yeah. so I just heard someone saying that like that question of what are we going to believe about God in the face of evil and suffering mm-hmm. is like the central question of Christianity. Yeah. yeah. And we all we all have to wrestle with yeah. it. And Tori's story is just an amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's, you know, I don't I don't think we should ever compare our suffering to each other. Yeah. But I get tempted in in right, stories like right. this where, like I, you know I I was raised in a home where my parents got divorced when I was young, mm-hmm. and so I've seen and experienced painful things. Yeah. But I wasn't raised in an abusive home. Yeah. And you know, like when I hear Tori share about getting beat. And being like, it finally was enough, and right. I hit back, and then right. I got charges pressed against me, and you know we had to go to court, and and just listening to even the betrayal mm-hmm. from like she shared about that foster uh, parent 
tweeting or putting on Facebook, like that's the easiest goodbye I've ever that had was after the, she. Uh, that was oh, so brutal. So brutal. And, and I think about someone who's been through stuff like that and them coming to trust Christ. Yeah. And you're like, I, the hurdle they have to come over to believe in God. Yeah. Like, okay, God loves me yeah. and he's all powerful and this has been my life. Yeah. That's, that's just, it, it reminds me that the power of God for salvation is the gospel. Mm. Not us. Not us, yeah. Because we we couldn't convince Tori Mm-mm. to put her hope in Christ. No, not after that. And so it it should embolden us yeah. to love the McDonald's drive-thru yeah, person. Yeah, that's right. It should. And and to, right, and to watch God move, not try to control yeah. the outcome of it. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. a really good word. I was thinking about, we interviewed Tim Challies a few weeks ago, mm. and he talked about his own loss of his, uh, son, which is a different story, except I mm-hmm. remember one of the things he talked about was how sometimes God goes, here's this really painful, awful thing, and I'm going to ask you to steward it, almost like it's a gift. And that's a hard, that's a hard concept, I think, to even wrestle with and, and sort of try to make sense of. But thinking about that in light of Tori story, I feel like this is a woman who is stewarding her pain so well, right? As God has like, God has of course ministered to her and brought healing to her life and the story of her coach and like just amazing things God has done. And now in that radical hospitality, I think that's her hospitality. I think that's her stewarding the pain and the suffering that she went through, which is a hard thing to ask of someone in pain. Like, will you steward yeah. this? Mm-hmm. And yet I, I, I think that's, I, that's the call, right? Yeah. It, I, th- I think it is. I mean, even I, and we don't want to shame people. That's who, it. Yeah. That's good. You know, like we're, we're not saying you got to be like Tori, mm-hmm. but you know, I think of Jesus on the cross as he's hanging there, he's suffering, He's dying. He's in unimaginable agony. And he sees his mom mm. and is like, oh, she's watching her firstborn son die. Now she needs someone to take care of her. Yeah. So I'm going to give her John. And, I'm, uh, and in the middle of his suffering, mm. he is yeah. still caring mm. for other people. Mm. And, and, and I think that's the, that's the word of hope I'd want to give to someone who's listening and going, I can't I can't do what Tori's doing. And we're never called to try to be the same yep. identical to somebody else. Yep. But we can look at Christ and we can go, he knows what it's like mm. to be in agony mm. and to serve other people. Mm. He succeeded where you failed. So mm. God's not looking at you in that moment on your record, but on the perfect righteousness of Christ. Amen. And since Jesus has been there, he knows what it's like and he knows how to help you and he's willing to help you do that. And so don't grow discouraged and give up. Uh, run That's to Christ so and go, Jesus, help me know how to serve you in my own pain. Mm. Oh, such a good, such a good thought, Eric. I love that. You know what's interesting about that? The story of Jesus on the cross 
saying to John and Mary, like, look, there's your there's your son, there's your mother. I, for some reason, I always read that as harsh a little bit. Like, I'm not sure why, but I had a very strange, mm. very strange reading of it. I don't know if I had heard it preached that way or just the way I was interpreting it. And and so to hear, I remember just even recently, like it might've even been on Good Friday at a service hearing, like, no, that's Jesus in his pain and suffering, caring for them, putting them together as family. I was like, that's what Jesus does in our pain. So that's a good word, Eric. Like, it, yeah. remember if you're suffering, that we can look to the perfect suffering of Jesus and the perfect ministry of Jesus and invite him to be the person who, like, leads through us when we yeah. feel like we don't have the strength to do such it. A, such a beautiful scene. Mm, so good. Well, we we love encouraging you. That's part of what we do here, especially in your pain. It's our passion to partner with you, to partner with God, to take back your story, especially when the enemy has tried to rob you of so much in your grief and your heartache and your own growing up experiences. And so we would love to invite you to go to our website, nothingiswasted.com slash community. And there we have our community platform, our community plus platform. Community plus is a subscription. It's $20 a month. It's actually tax deductible. We have extra resources for our community plus members, courses that you can't find any place else, original content you can't find any place else. So again, we'd love to invite you to go to nothingiswasted.com slash community. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can find, stream his music wherever it is you do that. You can follow us at Instagram, uh, on Instagram at Nothing is Wasted Ministries, at Obsamp and at EM Shoemaker, spelled Schumacher. We'd also love to invite you to review, like, and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts and on YouTube. By doing so, you help others find this incredible story and other incredible stories of pain to purpose. Eric, you want to tell people about our next guest? Because this is a good one next week. Oh, yeah. Next week, Davey interviews Randy Alcorn. Randy Alcorn. I feel like he's like a uh, he's like an icon. He is an icon. Like I I've been reading Randy Alcorn. Uh, ah, sorry, I'll start over. I've been reading Randy Alcorn for like ever. This is you know, awesome. Fiction, nonfiction, mm-hmm. like he tackles so many different subjects. And I, I, I feel like everybody loves Randy. Everybody like, loves Randy. <laughs> like, I don't know why you wouldn't love Randy. Yeah, well, that's and, good. That's good. And just the, the conversation between Davey and Randy about losing a wife. Mm. You know, Randy's wife recently died. Mm. And um, that's, it's just a sweet, a sweet fellowship yeah. to be able to get the privilege of looking in on it. and Yeah, on the two of them kind of sharing that together. Yeah, what a beautiful thing. Well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davey's conversation with Randy Elkhorn. What we usually think of as heaven is the present heaven where people go when they die. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. We get a picture of paradise. Rich man Mm -hmm. and Lazarus, rich man goes to hell, or you could call it the present hell, what ultimately will be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, but also, uh, it uh, shows, you know, Lazarus uh, uh, who and Abraham, and they're in the good place. They're in the presence of God. Um, and so, we know that uh, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord, that we immediately, when we die, go into God's presence. Mm-hmm. 
So your wife is uh, conscious in heaven. My wife is conscious in heaven. Um, we we have people in heaven right. asking questions of God, like how long before you bring judgment yeah. on those right. who killed us, you know, um, which is, it's like God's people in heaven have this, you know, the, they have the yeah. sense of the attributes right. of God, not only his love and his grace, but also his justice and his holiness. Um, and, uh, and then you've got this consciousness, you've got communication. This is all going on now. Now, on the one hand, you have uh, the sense that, well, because our, we leave our bodies on earth, mm. we are not resurrected one at a time. That's a big misconception that some people have. They think mm. we go to heaven and we've got our resurrection bodies. And then the next person comes to heaven and they now get their resurrection. No, the resurrection is a future event that's talked about in John 5 and 1 Thessalonians 4. It is not one at a time. However, there's also a depiction mm. of the present heaven that is, is so physical and tangible. You've got mm. people wearing white robes, which, by the way, that's what they wore yeah. to a nice dinner. You put on your, your whitest, your cleanest, you know, robe, and uh, and that's what they wore in that culture. So to us, the equivalent might be jeans yeah. and a T-shirt or a sweatshirt or whatever, because that's maybe what we wear. Or some people wear <laughs> That's why you got out of pastoral ministry. as frequently <laughs> as possible. But anyway, so so— <laughs> yeah, that's it. There you go. Yeah, let's get to the heart of it. Um, so, but but the fact is that these uh, the people have got crowns. They they're casting crowns before the Lord. There's a passage where people in heaven are carrying palm branches. The tree of life is said to be in the present wow. heaven, and I think it's the same tree of life that's from the Garden of Eden and will be on the new earth. So we got that. And maybe God gives some temporary form to us so that we can still be human and and more of a full sense because disembodied spirits are not, you know, like God made Adam from the ground and breathed into breath of life and human beings are the combination of physical matter and spirit. Mm. But in any case, we know we're not resurrected in the present heaven. The promise of the future in 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is the great promise, is that as Jesus rose from the grave and is now in the present heaven in his resurrection body, he will one day raise us. <laughs> 